0: Twenty, verse 13 we're continuing our way through the gospel according to Exodus and we're preaching on the 10 words the 10 instructions from God to his people the nation of Israel and this to the sixth word the sixth word remember our hand signal for the sixth one thou shalt not kill right thou shalt not kill and let me uh read verse 13 for us this morning you ready you shall not murder. Now, that's a short verse. It's actually twice as long in English as it would be in Hebrew. In Hebrew, if we were reading this verse in Hebrew, it's simply lo ratzak. I don't know if I'm saying that right or not. I just read it. So that's, that's how uh, one would. Did I, did I get, did I get I got it right, George? You're close? Okay, good. No, George is giving me the nod, so um, been, uh, I'm close anyway. That's our command for this morning. You shall not murder. Don't murder people. Okay, we can close in prayer. Father, thank you. No, I, you. You may think, okay, like, I mean, Jeremy, that's pretty straightforward, pretty simple. And I mean, come on, we're all here. None of us are in prison this morning. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're good to go. Skip on down to something. We're eager to hear Matt's sermon next week. What's he going to come up with? I'll be here, thankfully. So I'll get to hear whatever you come up with, bro, I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to God, give us, give us your heart. Behind, help us understand your heart behind this wonderful gift, this this incredible instruction. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. I'm going to say something that sounds a little uh, like kind of shock value-oriented, and not all of you will agree with me with what I'm getting ready to say, but I'm using it as an illustration. I, I think there's a good chance that within the next 10 to 20 years that we will have, for the purpose of entertainment, fights between two individuals, some of you heard me say this before, fights to the death for the sake of entertainment. Where, where two people who are sound of mind and limb decide, they sign their waivers or what have you, and they, they decide, we're going to get together and we're going to fight each other and the winner is the one who lives. And, and people will be live at that event to, to watch for the sake of entertainment or people will pay-per-view to watch this event, for the, or you know, we'll watch it on our phones, or there'll be a hologram in our living room, or something, right, 20 years from now, who knows how uh, we'll entertain ourselves. And you might say, Jeremy, I don't, even, I don't even like the fact that you would suggest such a thing. I'm gonna give you some reasons why I think that's possible. But, but that, that thing inside you right now, where you're going, I don't like that. I don't like the fact that you would even suggest such a thing in a mixed group with mixed ages. I don't like the fact that you're talking about that. We're going to come back to that inside you because that's, that's part of God's conscience in you where you go, no. But I want us to think for a second in just a minute. I want you to, we're going to look at, like why did, why? why? Why do we all know that's not okay? Why do you know that? I don't think it's because we've evolved that way to know that. I think there are several reasons why that could be an option. You might think we human beings are not like we will not do that sort of thing. We're not capable of that sort of thing. But have you read a single page of history? I mean this this kind of thing has existed in human history in the past and while you may think we are evolved beyond that point or developed beyond that point I can assure you that there are things that we do today that the Romans would have cringed at had they known that humans would someday do that sort of thing. So first of all I think it's possible because we've proven that we have done it in the past and there are certain places even I'm sure today that do this sort of thing one of the reasons why i think we would be capable of it another reason that i think we're capable of it is one of the ways that we entertain ourselves is by two people fighting but just stopping just short of death right we call it cage fighting or ultimate fighting or that sort of thing and the bloodier and the dirtier and the longer the fight and the more brutal the more not you but the more people love it you see the fight last night oh it was great you watch the replays of people being bloodied and battered, one image of God being bloodied and battered by another image-bearer of God. I think it's wicked. That's another reason I think we would, we would do it. Another reason I think we could do it is we enjoy watching it on movies where we know the person didn't really die, but the more people that are beheaded and the more people that are shot up and the gorier and bloodier it is, the more people are going to go to the cinema. Who says Cinema. To the movie theater. I said that mostly for my kids. Um, There's a little inside joke there, right? Um, The more people are going to go to the movie theater to watch the bloodier movies, brothers and sisters, we we our culture is ready for this sort of thing. But why did you this morning when I suggested such a horrific thought, and it is a horrific thought? Why did you instinctively think, no, 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 not not on my watch, not in my lifetime? No, we're not going to allow that to happen. Like, why do we know that it's wrong to murder? Now, Imagine asking a godless person this, someone who doesn't hold to the authority of Scripture and doesn't believe that there is a God who has given us his eternal decrees on how we're to live with one another. Imagine someone who would consider themselves maybe an atheist or agnostic or just a secular, a humanist, someone who doesn't have the authority of God's Word in their life. Based on what do they make the determination, thou shalt not murder? Many might say, well, it's just wrong. To which you would say, says who? Some would say, well, we we just know that for, for society to function, we can't just go around killing each other. But why not? But why not? You understand that there were some people throughout history who decided that killing certain people would actually help humanity. Right? And the first name that comes to everyone's mind is Hitler. Right? And he decided there's this one group of people, as they would call the Jews, this group of people needs to be exterminated. And, and for, good, for the development of, the, of our race and for the, you know, uh, the purity of our bloodline and that sort of thing, here's a group of people that needs to be done away with. So, so why, why is killing wrong? And as Christians... We actually know that the answer is found directly and objectively in the Bible, and I want you to turn to a very important passage. Turn to Genesis chapter one, verse twenty-seven. Genesis one twenty-seven. Keldon, do you remember what's at Genesis one twenty-seven? Very, that's exactly right. Well, my my junior high Bible class they got a full dose of this over the course of the last week. Genesis 127 says this. Well done, bro. You'll you'll get some bonus points. Well, no, you won't. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Brothers and sisters, the reason that it is a sin to take the life of another person is because that person is an image bearer of God. As Christians, we have what I would argue is the only solid, sure-footed answer to the reason why it's wrong to kill. Why it's wrong, let me correct that and and say say it more clearly, why it's wrong to murder. The main point this morning is this, you must honor the image of God in man. You must honor the image of God. You must honor the image of God. You are not allowed to come into my office this morning, and there on my desk is a picture of my wife, Angie. You're not allowed to come in and take that and smash it and stomp on it and spit on it. You might say, well, I mean, why Why not? It's not your wife. I love your wife, but the picture of her, I don't like. I'm gonna smash it, I'm gonna spit on it, I'm gonna defame it in front of you. No, 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 the image is representative of the real thing. And brothers and sisters, God creates us in the image of God, and there, there is so much theological significance in that point that we can't unpack this morning. But I do want us to understand that the, the good word, the good instruction not to kill is directly linked to this understanding that you and I, that all humanity have been made in the image of God. And while that image is fallen and marred and broken by sin, it is not extinct. It is still there and it's still good. There's a good part of it as well. First of all, you, uh, excuse me, the main point, you must honor the image of God. And so we're going to do like we've done uh, each week. We're going to look at the sixth word and God, then the sixth word and us, and then the sixth word and Christ. And you might be saying, what are you talking about the sixth word? Well, if you've been here, there's some some guests with us this morning, but um, these 10, what we call the 10 commandments would have been known as the 10 words, the 10 instructions to Israel. And so just to keep reminding us of that, I'm trying to use the phrase word or the word word or instruction as often as I can. I mentioned already this is a really short this is a really short word, a really short instruction. No murder. Many of us learned this phrase when we were memorizing scripture, we learned it in the King James version, right? Thou shalt not kill. But actually and that's Legitimate way to translate it. I actually believe that there's a better way for us to understand the Hebrew word here. And I, I think a better way for us to understand it would be to understand it in these terms Thou shalt not murder. I think to, the word murder instead of kill is going to help us understand a little bit. You see, all murder is killing. But the Bible is going to help us understand that not all killing is necessarily murder, all murder is killing. But not all killing is murder, and what the Bible is forbidding here, and some of you may even have a, uh, a footnote there that says the Hebrew word also covers causing human death through carelessness or negligence. We're going to talk about that um, here this morning as well. Why is this a command? Why is this an instruction that makes its way all the way into what we might consider the most, the 10 most important instructions that God gives to his people, right? The 10 Commandments. We can, again, see Charlton Heston holding the Ten Commandments. Um, uh, Moses does an impersonation of Charlton Heston uh, in the Old Testament. Why is this command worthy of... Ma- it seems pretty obvious and straightforward, right? Like, yeah, we just know that you're not supposed to kill each other. How, how could Israel break this command? Well, I think there are several ways that this kind of killing, or uh, the word I'm using is, is murder, I think there are a number of ways uh, that we see in the Old Testament where you could be guilty of this kind of thing. And I think it translates into our world today, right? And the first is just the most obvious and the most direct, um, and that is just of, of what we would call voluntary manslaughter, right? The person who plans and makes their preparations and knows I hate this person. I want to perpetrate this crime. I'm going to do this thing. I've got the gun and ammunition. I'm ready. I've got the knife. I've got the bomb. I've got I'm going to go and do this thing. And voluntarily with foresight and malice I'm going to commit this crime. And that's what's most clearly and obviously being forbidden here. But the the Bible also makes it clear that there are other forms of killing someone that are also forbidden. What we call involuntary manslaughter or like you're responsible, it was an accident, but you still bear some responsibility, you still bear some culpability in this. This is, this is clearly laid out in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, uh, the people of Israel are told to build a parapet around the roof of their home, right? That's build a, build a railing, build a, a handrail around your roof. Often the people who lived at this time, they would, uh, in the evening, they lived in a warm culture, and in the evening they would go, and they would go to the roof of their house, and they would sit on the roof of their house, and they could enjoy the evening uh, uh, breeze and that sort of thing. And if you, had, if you were up on the roof of your house, and your friends came over, and your kids came over, and their kids came over, and it got dark, that sort of thing, and people are walking around up on your roof, and they don't know your roof like you know your roof, and if your neighbor falls off of your roof because you didn't have... A, a railing there, then the Bible actually says it's, it's, you're responsible for that person's death. In Exodus chapter 21, um, just the next chapter over, uh, we're going to learn about uh, if you've got a, a livestock that is known to have gored someone, that is known to have harmed someone in the past, and you don't take care to keep it pinned up and keep it protected from others and others from it, then and that animal does go and do harm to someone else that you you bear responsibility for for the death of that person so what we call involuntary manslaughter the bible um, uh, forbids as well obviously one of the primary ways that we see a violation of this command in our culture one of the first things that come to mind for us when we think about the murder the mass killing of those who don't deserve to die of innocence we think of the sin in our culture of, of abortion. That's exactly right. In fact, we've come to, place, we've come to a place in, in our world and in our culture, and unfortunately in the United States of America, we've come to a place where we actually call this evil, we call it good. Not we as in we, but our world, our culture, our nation, many in our nation, not all, thank the Lord, but many in our nation actually call this evil crime. They, the Bible says that in the last days there will be those who call evil good and good evil. And the Bible makes it clear, and I know I don't have to preach this message long to this congregation. In Psalm 139, verse 13, the psalmist says, You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Right? We, we believe, and even, even modern uh, uh, doctors and doctors, um, it used to be that the argument um, for abortion was that we weren't exactly sure when life uh, began and that sort of thing, and maybe it was after birth, you know, once, once a child was born and that sort of thing. And my understanding is that modern doctors, even modern doctors who um, are abortion doctors, they, they no longer argue the fact that, that, uh, that life begins at conception, and this is when, you know, a life becomes a viable human being we've just said there's something that's more important there's something that trumps the life of this child, and that would be the convenience or uh the uh of the mother or th- that mother has a you know she's she um, it's her body and therefore her choice that sort of thing and uh, and and almost always where a mother is making that choice there's also a man involved making that choice as well so let's not be too hard on uh, the mother or on uh, uh putting all the responsibility on uh, the life of the, the mother in that situation. But abortion uh, is another way that killing is considered wrong in the Bible. Another way that's becoming a little more popular in our world is the the killing uh, uh, that we call euthanasia, which is a kind of a strange word if you haven't heard of it before. But it's basically the, the killing of those who are either... Um, uh, they're to a place physically and medically where they want to take their own life or of elderly people and, and uh, their life has been taken. We, li- we live in a broken world and things are often overwhelmingly hard. But brothers and sisters, God is the one who determines our days. He's the one who gives life. He's the one who takes life. And it's not for us to determine whose life is worth continuing and whose life is no longer worth continuing one pastor asks this question, how can we try to prevent suicide amongst teenagers and young people and then promote it among the sick and the elderly? And, and when we talk about something like euthanasia, uh, because of our modern medical practices, we have, we have uh, something that I, I want to make sure that it is clarified in here. There's a difference between terminating life and terminating treatment, right? And many of our medical professionals in here would be better at, describing and explaining all of this to you. But I know that I've interacted with families before who their elderly parent is on some type of life support. Maybe they're on a feeding, uh, feeding tube and they're on a ventilator and that sort of thing. And they're, they're kind of being kept living. And then the family has this really hard decision left to make. And some of you have faced this decision and some of you have, will face this decision. And I want you to understand that um, if the person has already uh, ahead of time indicated that they don't want to be kept on life support, um, or if you as maybe, maybe you've been given power of a medical attorney, that sort of thing, and you're the one who has to determine whether or not to keep mom or dad on this machine that will keep them going indefinitely, that that, that is a different choice than, than uh, someone deciding I want to get a prescription from a doctor and I'm going to inject it into myself and I'm going to end my life. There's a difference between choosing to terminate treatment and terminating a life. Does that make sense? And if you have any questions about that, I'd be happy to talk with you about it further. But I've, I've talked with people before, and they were really struggling with, you know, our loved one has indicated that they'd like to be taken off of life support. But, I, but now the nurse is looking at me, asking me when. And I, I feel like I'm being made to determine, like, now I'm in charge of whether or not my loved one lives. And that's just, that's just not, that's not the that's that is not, um uh, irresponsible at all for you to be the one to determine uh, uh, these. Mo- modern medicine ha- allows us to extend life in ways that are um, good often, but sometimes put us in a place where it's slightly unnatural. Um, and so the termination of treatment is very different than the termination of life. And remember this, with the legalization of things like abortion and euthanasia, we run the risk of something that's currently... Uh, allowed, then becoming mandated in the future, right? So let's say that we get to a place where abortion is just allowed under any circumstances and euthanasia is allowed under any circumstances and cultures have already proven that this is the case. There are some European countries that are already practicing some of these things where, you know, now that your parent is, is too old and they're elderly and now they're a drain on society and historically this has happened even in the past where, you know, it, it costs too much. It's too much work to keep them alive. We're going to go ahead and terminate their life so that money and, and doctors' resources can be spent on, on other things. And if we don't have the Bible's understanding about who gives life, who takes life, in the image of God and man, we're going to make wrong choices. I want to bring up another topic that the Bible uh, makes clear, uh, another way of killing that the Bible makes clear uh, is wrong. But one that, uh, that I think for some in the room, or really for all of us, but for some in particular, um, this is a topic that we just don't ever enjoy talking about. Well, I don't know that much that I've talked about so far this morning is particularly enjoyable. But the, the killing of uh, suicide. For, for, some, for some of you, just bringing this topic up reminds you of Family and friends, and it's a really uh, unsettling topic. But let me just start by being very clear that the Bible nowhere teaches that suicide is some kind of unforgivable sin. And that if someone does take their own life, that they are just condemned and damned forever. I, I, I've, I've talked with people before who were very concerned by that. They had a loved one who committed suicide, and they had been taught or just maybe just assumed at some point that. When someone commits suicide, like they just die and go to hell, and there's no salvation for them. There's no, there's no hope for them. But that's just that's nowhere indicated in the scripture. And in fact, it's so, it's so clear that our God is kind and gracious and loving toward those. And, and how many of us will be perfectly sinless when we die, right? I mean, that, so many of us will have some kind of sin that is still part of our life that we're struggling with. Just because someone commits suicide doesn't mean they weren't a Christian. If they, if they didn't come to Christ before they committed suicide, suicide then, then they will die and be separated from God, just like someone who lives to be 110 and dies of natural causes. But suicide is self-murder. There's five instances of suicide in the Bible. We're not going to go through all of them right now, but they're all, all, the context of every single one of them is of defeat and shame when when Jonah and Job ask God to take their lives, God does not grant this. Without going into a lengthy teaching on life and suicide, let me just remind you that life is given from God, that life is precious. You are made in God's image, so you have intrinsic value because you've been made in the image of God, and you also have assigned value extrinsic value as well, because you are loved by God. But we live in a broken world where circumstances and personality type and mental condition and drug use, both illegal drug use and prescription drug use, all of these different things, circumstances, personality, all of they can, they can all contribute to a hopelessness and a depressed state that some people are going to struggle with more than others. And, and for some, they will get to a point where they think, I want to be done with this and I want to be delivered from this, and they're going to be inclined to take their own life. And some of you have or are or will struggle with this at some point in your life. Let me just encourage you to know that you have a safe place to come and talk with any of the pastors here there are many Christian men and women in this room who have, who have faced those, those thoughts, those temptations in, on their own and would be happy to bring God's word of hope into your life. And, to pay. and sometimes we need physical, sometimes we need a doctor, sometimes we need a psychologist or psychiatrist, but always we need the word of God to bring truth and hope back into our lives when you're feeling that way. And so just know, if you are feeling that way, you are not alone. In a room this size, I, I mean, I, I'm literally just spitballing. There's 15 people who have or are feeling this way today, and I, I'm like, is that like you have science or math or stats to? No, I just talked to a lot of people. I just talked to a lot of people, and I've lived for 44 years, and so I know what it's like to get to a point to just think, man, like this is not fun. I'm not enjoying this. I, don't, I, I kind of wish I could escape this. And brothers and sisters, life without Christ, life without hope, is is hard. And if there is no God, and there is no objective right or wrong, and if your life is miserable. Suicide is not the right choice, but it is a rational option. It is rational. And, brothers and sisters, now, again, it's not right, it's not okay, and there is hope offered for you. But if you or a loved one are struggling with this, man, please reach out to me, reach out to a Christian counselor. You're not alone and you're not weird. You're not weird. So these are some of the ways that the Bible makes clear that you're not supposed to murder. Don't voluntarily manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter, abortion, euthanasia, suicide. There may be some others, but those are the big ones. And yet you might have already jumped ahead in your thinking to, Jeremy, yeah, but the Bible is kind of soaked in blood. I mean, there's, there's just a lot of human bloodshed going on in this book. So, so how do we account for some of the bloodshed in the Bible while hearing from God's own mouth, lo, razzak, no murder? Well, there are actually biblical warrants for several types of killing, and that's why I wanted to use the distinction between murder and killing. Let me, let me give you three that I think the Bible clearly makes an argument for, and these are not exhaustive scriptural treatments. There are more scriptures that could be added to this, but here are just a few. First of all, I do believe the Bible makes warrant for self-defense. And, and again, there are, there are some good Christian people who disagree with some of the, the finer points of this, but um, uh, I believe the, the scripture is clear on this in most Christian um Uh, pastors and theologians agree with this. First of all, for self-defense. In Exodus, in in two chapters from here, Exodus 22, verse two, it says this, if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. So two chapters after God has said no murder, he also says if a thief breaks into your home and that thief is killed while in your home, there's no, you, you are guiltless in the murder of that, in the killing rather of that intruder. So I believe self-defense uh, is one is one area that the Bible makes uh, um, warrant for. The second would be war, right? Uh, a, a national war. The Old Testament, uh, 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 in the Old Testament, the war wasn't prevented. God often sent His people into battle, and the New Testament doesn't condemn warfare. Or soldiers, there are times where Jesus himself talks to soldiers and tells them how to be honorable soldiers, even in an unhonorable army. Jesus talks to Roman soldiers, gives instructions for Roman soldiers who were in an army that, if you'll recall, weren't particularly appreciated by the Israelites. Romans 13 declares that the state is God's instrument to protect the nation and to punish evildoers. That's why your nation and its armies can act in a way that you can't just go out and vigilante AR 15 style go take care of business. And then, thirdly, a third way of killing that the Bible um, gives instruction for is what we would call capital punishment. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in His own image. Isn't it interesting that even again in Genesis chapter nine, when God when God condemns murder, He says, "Listen, you can't murder, and if you murder, your life is going to be taken because I made man in my image." Again, it's being tied to the image of God and man. Let me just say a quick word here about this. Exodus chapter one states this: "An eye for an eye." and a tooth for a tooth. Now, how many of you know the quotation from Gandhi based on this this, uh, verse? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Anybody know? You think you know, Lynn? What is it? We'll make the whole world blind. Have you heard that? Okay, and you hear that and you go, man, Gandhi's got a good point, right? Like, I poke your eye out, so you poke my eye out. And so I poke your eye out, and then you poke my other eye out, right? Well, okay, that didn't get anywhere. And then if everybody does that, then we're all in big trouble. First of all, I, I think that uh, it's as though Gandhi recognizes the evil within every single human heart by his willingness to say, Oh well, yeah, if we do that, then all the world's going to be blind. It's almost like he realized we're that bad. We'd, poke every, we'd all poke each other's eyes out. Secondly, though, I think that Gandhi is wrong because an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth was actually a gift, not a curse. One pastor, Kevin DeYoung, notes that within the context of the ancient Near East, this was a humane law because what would often happen is I would take a life for an eye. You knock my tooth out, I knock your head off. You poke my eye out, I take your life, right? And so with the human tendency for the consequence to be greater than the crime committed, right, you do something that hurts me and I kill one of your kids. And what God is doing here is he's saying, no, 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 you're not, you can't go, the the punishment has to fit the crime. God is actually being gracious in this. And then, of course, there is the reality that if I know that the punishment for murder is that my life would be taken, that is a deterrent. To some degree, that is, an, uh, that is a deterrent. So, so, so the Bible, th- this is why I'm making a distinction between killing and murder. The Bible forbids murder. And, and, and the fact that it gives instruction for appropriate killing, even that is a gracious gift to a world that has fallen in sin. You understand that none of those instructions, none of those words—capital punishment, war, self-defense—in the garden pre-fall, like those weren't part of the human condition. And brothers and sisters, there's coming a day where those won't be part of the human condition anymore either. And I can't wait. So that's that's the sixth word and God. This is why God is giving us. This don't murder, but remember, murder is different than killing. The sixth word and us. Now, we might look at the sixth word and go, man, good to go. Not a problem. Let's move on to number seven. Some of you have already gone ahead in your mind to a passage in the New Testament. What passage in the New Testament are we getting ready to look at? Mark mentioned it in Sunday school, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. What's the sermon? Sermon on the Mount. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5, please. Matthew chapter 5. Because you, like me, might be inclined to read Exodus chapter 20 verse 13 and be a little bit smug, like, that was easy. Come on, give give me something harder than that. Some of you and I, I, I really don't know. I, I, have, I have interacted with a number of Christians through the years who are godly, God-fearing, wonderful Christian people who I have learned how to be a Christian from, who, as part of their history, have abortion as part of their history. And they'll look at me and say, "I've, I've, I've broken I've overtly broken this command from God because of." Sinful choices I've made in my past, and um, this is in my notes in, in a few minutes, but I'm just going to say it right now, God. It uh, when when Paul, who God uses so magnificently to write so much of the New Testament Scripture and to be used so powerfully, he is aware of the murders that he committed and yet lives in full forgiveness of the, by the grace of God to carry on his apostolic ministry. Brothers and sisters, there is absolute, perfect, and complete forgiveness in the grace of God. Okay, I'll talk about that more in a minute. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, lo, Ratzak. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, remember in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, you've heard that it was said of old, the, the, the old Israelites, back in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, they were told, And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to To the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. That kind of doesn't make sense to me if I've never thought about this before. Jesus is taking, Don't murder, which we know what that is knife, stab, blood, he's dead. And Jesus is saying, if you hate someone, what was the second phrase? If you insult someone, if you call them fool, you are guilty in the same way. And you and I can both look at that and go, like, if these crimes don't match up, killing someone, and calling someone names don't match up. Does one have more consequences? Okay, for sake of illustration, in just a moment, I'm going to take a knife and stab Lynn. And then I'm going to call Joseph a fool. Will, will, will those crimes have similar uh, consequences? N- not No. So what is Jesus doing here? Why is Jesus saying... That there's something connected about murder and hatred. Author David Powlison has a book entitled, Good and Angry. And one chapter of the book is entitled, it's a question. The title of the, qu- of the chapter is, Do You Have a Serious Problem with Anger? There's one word in the whole chapter. And that word, one word is yes. That, that's one of those chapters you'd like to get for homework when you're in high school, right? You've got to go read chapter 9 tonight. The answer, yes. Do you have a serious problem with anger? Here's the deal. How can God do this? Because anger and hatred are an expression of the of the malice and wrath that motivates the killing, the murder that we do. Anger and hatred are an expression of a murderous heart against another image bearer of God. Again, I use the illustration. If you come into my office and you take the picture of Angie off the the, the desk and throw it on the ground and smash it and spit on it, uh, you, you don't just get off the hook by saying, oh, it's nothing personal. I didn't really hurt her. I was just hurting an image of her. Jen Wilkin, in her excellent little book on uh, the Ten Commandments, says this, the impulse to murder is nothing less than, uh, than, than the outer working of a lesser impulse we choose to indulge on a regular basis. The impulse to murder is nothing less than the outer working of of a lesser impulse, we choose to indulge on a regular basis. And then she names a couple of very specific things that I think are really helpful. Because we have all seen these illustrations that I'm getting ready to mention. She says, From Little League games to rush hour traffic jams, we see evidence around us that people regularly express anger beyond what a circumstance merits. Let's just use her illustrations. Little League games and rush hour traffic. Have you ever watched anyone go just, I mean, absolutely crazy at a sporting event? I have seen pastors, like, embarrassingly lose it at sporting events. I mean, like, yelling, screaming, insults at the refs, right? I mean, we all at least when I think about people just going absolutely ape, wild, crazy at a sporting event, I still see, um, oh, what was the, the basketball coach He threw the chair across the, Bobby Knight, is that who it was? Yeah, right, we got all like, and maybe you've got other illustrations, that wasn't a Little League game, but, right, and, and, but I mean, there are times where like, I mean, we're talking T-ball, right, and parents are just going bonkers, and they would, if they could, right, or someone cuts you off in traffic, and you say something out loud because your kids aren't in the car. That, that's, it's not okay that you said that. Now, l- l- I'm going to say a couple things here and, and understand that I'm not cursing when I say these things. Okay? Have you ever said, God damn you. The reason, I've said this before in, this, in this, uh, to this church, the reason you don't get to say that is because God's the only one who can do that. He's the only one who decides who gets damned and who doesn't get damned. And so for you to say God damn you to someone, whether they're right there in front of you or in the vehicle in front of you, the reason you say that is you're saying, I want to bring the judgment of God against you where you not only die, but you're tormented from him. You're separated and tormented forever. Not like you're not thinking about that in that moment, but that is what that phrase means. Or when you tell someone, "Go to hell," and again, it sounds like I'm cussing. These are phrases that really mean things. So, so we don't we don't use that phrase either because God's the only one who determines that. And you, when you tell someone that, you're saying, I want to bring death on you right now, and I want you to be separated from God, and I want you to have eternal torment separated from God. I want to be judge, jury, and executioner and bring this sentence down on you, and it's an expression of a murderous heart when we say things like that. Think about what it is that you're expressing. I'm so mad at you right now that I'm saying I wish you were dead and under the condemnation of God. And Maybe you don't say it out loud, but at some point in your life you've thought it or wished it. Hating someone, being angry with them, wishing wrath upon them, cursing them is an expression of our hearts towards someone made in the image of God. When you are angry with a person you're angry with an image bearer of God. And of course the Bible does say to be angry and sin not. But that sin not part that's the hard part there. Right? I mean, there are times where we feel like I have righteous indignation. I have righteous anger. Man, really is it re- like is it the is it the holiness and transcendence of God that you are ferocious about and fierce for right now, or are you upset because that person cut you off, or that person made you look dumb, or we're nowhere told to fight for our rights. Being angry and sinning not, we're told to be angry and sin not because when we're angry we sin. If if it was if we were angry if we were often angry but didn't sin, uh, we wouldn't need this verse. So to be angry at a politician for his view on something, and then hope that his plane will crash, or that he'll die of cancer—that's sin. To be hang- angry—it shows you where I'm at right now. To be angry that a politician holds a view on abortion that disgraces the image of God by killing babies—that's good anger. To be jealous for God and for His ways—that is good. But know, know this about yourself. That could very quickly turn to unrighteous anger. And remember this about your anger, James one twenty: The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The world we live in, brothers and sisters, promotes anger. Turn on the news. And what they're doing is they're fanning. What do you, is that a bellows? Is that a that thing that fan... That, as a fire, okay. I'm good with hand signals. Um, I just pre- should preach the whole sermon with hand signals. Um, right, like they're there and they, they find something that you're upset about this issue, that issue, and they know they've got two different sides white, black, abortion, non abortion, gay, straight, whatever the issue, right? And man, they've got a enormous bellows to blow into the culture of America and television shows, news outlets, news programs, social media. Like, they do well by inciting anger. Um, so watch any news channel or any late night show or any social media, and it's these versus them. Better yet, don't watch those. One author calls it anger worship. Like It's like our culture, like we, we like to be angry. And, and if I can be angry with you about someone else, Well, now, like that's even better, right? Now we have our little church of people that we're angry with other people about. Some, some people, some of even some of you are always angry. It it just takes the right topic, the right conversation. Well, and off you go, right? Always mad at people, and you feed on it. You feel morally superior because of your position. It's not that you're jealous for God and concern for the souls of the other person, that, to be jealous for God and, and loving, I mean, that, that's, what these whole, that's what these 10 instructions are all about, loving God and loving others. And when, I, when I'm angry because love for God is being threatened and love for others is being threatened, that's good anger. But if it's not, if I'm not angry because the love for God is being threatened or the love for others is being threatened, then that's not good anger. I mean, that's just the simplest way I think you can, I'm angry right now. Am I angry because someone is defaming God or because someone is defaming love toward others? I'm probably wrong, which means like 99.9% of the time that we're angry, we're wrong. In fact, Matthew 5.43 says to love your enemies. It doesn't say to be angry at them, it says to love them. So what do we do with all this? Once again, the the word, the instruction from God, the sixth instruction, shows us yet again, man, I'm not very good at this. The Ten Commandments, I actually thought that like the Ten Commandments are the ones that I was going to hit home runs on. And yet again, even the one that I thought I had the best chance of scoring like at least a, a minus, I'm seeing, man, I like I fail yet again. Well, that is condemning, and we do need this word to show us our lack. But brothers and sisters, remember that you and I aren't the only human being to have ever lived. There is one human being. This brings us to point number three. The sixth word, and Christ. Let me back up a little bit before we get to Christ. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a quick ramp to Christ here. But I'm going to go all the way back. This word says, lo ratzak, no murder. Do you remember the first murder committed in the Bible? It was the first human being born. God creates Adam, God creates Eve, they have a son. That guy breaks this commandment literally. Cain kills his brother Abel. The first person born on earth commits what we think it's not, but what we think, like that's the biggest crime when you're listing bad things, oh, I don't murder, or man, that person murdered, right? Like, we list that as number one. The first guy did it. I mean, he, he didn't have, like, other people, like, well, I'm just one of the murderers here, or, you know, he goes to the penitentiary, and what are you in for? Well, I killed the guy. Like, there's, like, he's the only one at this point. And after Cain murders Abel, He's asked where Abel is, and he says, Am I my brother's keeper? I'm going somewhere with this. This is these are not accidental little throwaway phrases in the Bible. We know that he was getting out from under responsibility, and in fact he should have said, you know, confessed to sin. He was indeed his brother's keeper. We know the biblical answer for us as Christians is yes, we are our brother's keeper. We are to love our neighbor as ourself. Christ, though. When Christ is asked, am I my brother's keeper? Not only does he answer the question with yes, he actually does something about it. He actually does the opposite of murder by giving his life so that others can receive life. Cain wasn't his brother's keeper. Jesus was his brother's keeper. Jesus came and was murdered to forgive the sin of murder. His heart was always right, even to those who were horrible and murderous toward him. He was angry, but sinned not. The Bible says, zeal for his house his father's house consumed him. He flipped over tables to prove it, prove it. He was zealous for the love of God and he was zealous for the love of others. Jesus was angry and did not sin, but so often our anger at others is not motivated by our love for God, but our love for ourselves. Some in here may feel very condemned and guilty today. Some of you have committed the sin of abortion. Some of you have been full of anger. Some of you have, with your words and your desires, damned other people. Brothers and sisters, there is a man who came from heaven. He is the God-man, Jesus Christ. And he came, and he hung on a cross, and he was murdered. He, uh, he had this sixth word perpetrated against him, and in that Sin against him in his giving, his life being taken, his life being given for us. He brings life to those of us who have broken this command. He is the Cain that Cain should have been. He is the Jeremy that Jeremy should have been. Jesus comes and he provides life for those who take life. So, as followers of Christ, there's two things I want us to remember. First of all, In Him, you are forgiven. And secondly, in Him, you too are to be a life giver, a love giver, a peacemaker. You need to know the love of God for you in order to love other image bearers rightly. I don't love you best by focusing on you. I love you best by loving God. I love you best by understanding that I've been made in the image of God and you've been made in the image of God. And even though we may disagree on really important things, you're still an image bearer of God. I don't wish death upon you. I wish life upon you. So the main point this morning is this. You must honor the image of God. You must do this to your fellow man by committing no murder outwardly or in your heart. You must do this by being a life giver. You must do this By honoring the God-man who is the image of God, Jesus Christ, you rejoice in His law-keeping for you, and you live out of His law-keeping for you as well. Lo Ratzak, you shall not murder. It's a wonderful gift to us as image-bearers of God. This time we're going to celebrate now the, the sacrifice of Christ that I just talked about. We're going to take this bread... And this cup, we're going to share it with one another and we're going to remember the sacrifice of Christ. And um, he was murdered to forgive us of our hatred and our murder and all the other commands that we break. And so I'll ask the deacons to come forward at this time. And if you're a member in good standing of Liberty Baptist Church or another gospel.